From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, Cataract Extraction and Intraocular Pressure, Part 1. The only factor that was associated with uh, more ILP lowering was a higher preoperative ILP. First this. This year's ASCRS annual symposium was great. I learned a lot that I'm applying to my practice right now. If I have any complaint, it's that I couldn't get to all the sessions I wanted to because some of them overlapped. That's why I'm so excited about the new ASCRS Media Center. More than 1,300 sessions from that meeting are now available through this great new resource. See what you missed or revisit the most interesting sessions. The Media Center is free to all meeting attendees. Stay tuned after the podcast for more information. What effect does cataract surgery have on intraocular pressure? We know it's complicated. In the immediate perioperative period, we're concerned about intraocular pressure spikes, and we think that we know that in the medium term, the intraocular pressure goes down. At least, that's what I was taught. But how much does it go down, and how long does that effect last? These are things I did not know until I read Stephen Mansberger's excellent paper. My conversation with Dr. Mansberger was lengthy and will be presented in two parts. We'll hear part one of my conversation with Dr. Mansberger today, and we'll hear the conclusion next time. Prior to your study, what evidence existed that cataract surgery had any influence on intraocular pressure? Well, you know, um, as far as uh, what evidence do we have that cataract surgery lowered intraocular pressure, there's been um, several uh, case reports and case series showing uh, even uh, cataract removal without an implant uh, where patients were left aphakic uh, had uh, a lowering in intraocular pressure. And even extra cap cataract surgery, you know, 20 years ago was thought to uh, lower pressure. The, the, the thing that was, was uh, difficult about these studies in the past were they included patients with and without glaucoma. They included patients that were on glaucoma medications and were not on glaucoma medications. They um, included a whole series of other uh, complicating factors where you know, they wouldn't measure pressure, um, uh, you know, prior to the cataract surgery. They, they would just be historical data, or they measure pressure just one time. And we know that, that intraocular pressure is, is, uh, is um, it fluctuates quite a bit and is variable. So without several uh, pressure measurements prior to cataract surgery and several pressure measurements after cataract surgery, uh, it's difficult to, you know, have an accurate, uh, measurement of what the effect of cataract surgery was on pressure. The same thing goes with, with glaucoma medicines. If you're on a glaucoma medicine prior to cataract surgery and now you're on two glaucoma medicines after cataract surgery and the pressure is lower, is it because of the cataract surgery or is it because of the glaucoma medicines? Um, and so, and the same issue with patients with uh, glaucoma versus, versus patients that don't have glaucoma. So, you know, there has been some evidence uh, in the past that, that cataract surgery has lowered intraocular pressure, but they just haven't been done in a study population uh, that uh, has been able to measure just the effect of cataract surgery uh, because of all these other complicating uh, issues. Now, we're going to be talking 
about the ocular hypertension treatment study too. Let, let, let me just ask you to paint in broad strokes the outline of the ocular hypertension treatment study. We, we, we've talked about oats several times during this, this, this podcast. I just want to sort of jog the memories of the listeners. Sure. Um, the ocular hypertension treatment study was designed uh, to evaluate the risk factors for developing uh, glaucoma in patients with ocular hypertension. Uh, ocular hypertension in this study was um, was defined as a pressure greater than 24 in one eye and a pressure greater than 22 in the contralateral eye. So they had to be pretty close together. And there couldn't be any form of secondary glaucoma, uh, such as pigmentary aspersion, pseudoexfoliation, angle closure. These are patients who simply had normal eyes, normal visual field, optic nerves that were normal, and had pressures greater than 24 in one eye and 22 in another eye. The other uh, aspect of the study, other than the risk factors for developing glaucoma in the future, was um, how uh, treatment of patients with ocular hypertension, uh, how effective treatment was with preventing uh, the development of glaucoma. So the ocular hypertension treatment study randomized patients to either um, careful monitoring or uh, treatment with an ocular hypertensive medication to lower their pressure by 20%. Can I get you to describe the design of your study? Sure. We, um, we used just the observation group of the ocular hypertension treatment study. So these were uh, the group of patients who were not treated with uh, glaucoma medications. And the study, the ocular hypertension treatment study lasted, um, you know, in some patients 13 or 14 years. So in some of those patients, they required cataract surgery, and we wanted to look at what the intraocular pressure effect would be in these group of ocular hypertension patients who had cataract surgery. Can I get you to describe the, the study population? Yeah, so the, um, the ocular hypertension treatment study observation group included 819 participants. Um, the total study size is about 1,700, but 1,819 were in this observation group. And um, what we did was is we excluded anybody from our study who had trabeculectomy surgery, uh, who had using prior glaucoma medications, even though some patients were in the observation group, for whatever reason, they were put on glaucoma medications or they used them. Uh, anybody who was aphakic or pseudophakic, because obviously they couldn't have cataract surgery, and anybody with less than one year of follow-up. Uh, we excluded those with less than one year follow-up for the same reasons I mentioned before is that we wanted to have several ILP measurements uh, prior to the cataract surgery and several ILP measurements after the cataract surgery to uh, really have a, you know, a more accurate measure of the, um, of the pre- and post-cataract uh, uh, intracranial pressure. And Steve, what, what, what were your, your main outcome measures? Well, we looked at uh, intraocular pressure. That, that was our main outcome measure. And it was um, what we did is we defined um, preoperative and postoperative IOP. And um, the preoperative IOP was the, the mean IOP uh, up to three visits uh, before what we called the split date. Um, and then I'll go over to split date in just a second. And the postoperative IOP was the mean IOP uh, of these three visits subsequent uh, to the split date. The split date is something that's uh, typically used in, uh, in epidemiology studies 
where you have a patient coming back at a, at a certain interval of time. So in the OATS patients, or the OATS study, the patients were coming back every six months at that interval. And what the coordinator would do is would ask the patient, well, what happened in the previous six months? Did you have any medical problems? Did you have any eye problems? Did you have any surgeries? And the patient may at that time report that they had cataract surgery. And so instead of trying to figure out the exact date that they had the cataract surgery, we used that date that they reported the cataract surgery as the split date. And we used all pressure measurements prior to that uh, visit considered preoperative and all visits, uh, including that, that visit, as the post-operative uh, IOP uh, date. So we, we took the mean of the three before and the mean of the three after to look at the difference in IOP uh, during the short-term time period. And then we took all the IOP measurements subsequent to that and prior to that and looked at the, the pressure measurements uh, as well. And what were your results? What were your findings, Steve? Well, um, what we found was is that the pressure uh, dropped uh, quite a bit in those that were in uh, the cataract group in comparison to the control group. I should mention that we, we took a group of 60, we had a group of 63 eyes that had cataract surgery in one or both eyes, and then we had a group of 743 patients who did not have cataract surgery in either eye. And in those that had the cataract surgery, the, the, the pressure dropped um, from 23.9 to uh, 19.8 uh, millimeters. So a drop of about, uh, let's see, 4.1 millimeters. In, um, and the, the interesting thing was that the postoperative IOP remained lower than the preoperative IOP for at least 36 months. Uh, I was taught that cataract surgery may lower pressure for about a year. Uh, our study showed that it extended actually longer. Um, and the average decrease in pressure uh, from uh, the average decrease in postoperative pressure from preoperative pressure was approximately 16.5 percent, and uh, almost 40 percent of patients had a pressure greater than 20 percent below uh, their preoperative IOP. Did the amount of intraocular pressure reduction correlate with any preoperative variable? Yeah, that would be a great thing, wouldn't it? You know, if we could um, put you know the patient's characteristics in a calculator or some sort of predictive, uh, you know, calculator, and just and decide. Well, gosh, this person is going to do is going to have a 20% loss or 20% decrease in intraocular pressure, where somebody else may have more, 40%, or somebody else may have nothing, or even get worse, or even have higher pressure. Um, the only factor that was associated with uh, more ILP lowering was a higher preoperative ILP. So. The difficulty with that is, is because those that have the highest preoperative IOP are probably those that are most likely to develop glaucoma, and you may be more inclined to do uh, glaucoma surgery at the same time as your cataract surgery. But this study showed that those patients were also the ones that got the most IOP lowering. Unfortunately, there were some patients who, who had higher pressures who got 10% lowering and some that got 30 or 40% lowering. And uh, there was no other predictive factors such as central corneal thickness or age or the, you know, the visual acuity, anything, uh, nothing else was associated with uh, the amount of IOP lowering. So it's a little bit of a, um, 
a difficult situation because, um, again, if you if somebody has a really high IOP, you know they may have a highest risk of developing glaucoma, but again, they may have the most IOP lowering. So it really makes it a challenge to decide who would be the best candidates, um, you know, for a cataract surgery alone. Steve, you mentioned that the duration of the intraocular pressure reduction was a lot longer than we were taught when we were in training. Do you have any sense of how long that duration is? Um, you know, it's at least three years, and uh, it, at least in the, the, the patient population that we had followed. Um, but no, I, I, have, I, I know it's at least three years, and those that have an ILP response seem to keep that ILP response for a long period of time. We'll end today's podcast here, and we'll pick up where we left off next time. Steven Mansberger is Senior Scientist and Adjunct Assistant Professor of Ophthalmology and Public Health and Preventative Medicine and Director of Clinical Trials at the Devers Eye Institute. He's also Director of Glaucoma Services at the Veterans Administration Hospital in Portland, Oregon. His paper, Reduction in Intraocular Pressure After Cataract Extraction, the Ocular Hypertension Treatment Study, appears in the September 2012 issue of Ophthalmology. Here's some additional information about the new ASCRS Media Center. Almost all of the 2012 ASCRS ASOA meeting was audio and video recorded, and there are now more than 1,300 sessions featuring almost 1,000 speakers available online. You can view the general sessions, ASCRS paper sessions, symposia, films and posters, plus select courses and ASOA sessions on business management. It's essentially the entire meeting, anytime you want, and it's all available through the new ASCRS Media Center. If you attended the meeting, your Media Center access is free. If you're a current ASCRS or ASOA member but didn't attend, you can still see everything that you missed for the member price of $199. If you're not an ASCRS member, you can still purchase the Media Center, or better yet, Join us and get the lower member price. To view the 2012 meeting through the Media Center, visit the ASCRS website at www.ascrs.org. If you're already a member, log in first and then click the Media Center link. If you're a guest, just click the Media Center link at the top of the page. From there, you can purchase the Chicago 2012 package or, better yet, Join the ASCRS and receive the discounted member price. Ask questions of Dr. Mansberger or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at jyoungmd at gmail.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.